Welcome to Laugh It Up Fuzzball. I am Joe the Wookie Riot. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about life, the universe, and everything, but mostly geek stuff. A place where we get to let our geek flag fly and talk about all things geek. As I've said before, this isn't an amalgamation of geek news or a comprehensive guide to all genres or the world of geekdom. Hopefully it's just a fun place to cover some geek news, comics, The Simpsons, Star Wars, and whatever randomness finds its way on in the recording. But let us get started. Nachos and burritos, and welcome to the podcast. Well, hey, hey, friends, welcome to level 90 of the podcast of Laughing Up Fuzzballs, and happy May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. We are one with the 4th, and the 4th is with us, I guess. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast where we just talk about all of our silly, geeky stuff. And uh, you got to enjoy, on Sunday a little bit late, but the Four Horsemen of the Geek Apocalypse talking about everything geeky and all sorts of news. And I said, hey, you'll get you'll get another episode, and it's going to be me just talking about some comics and the TV that I watch. But then I was like, I won't cover any news. I already covered news. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just do a full podcast, a full thing. It is May the 4th. And while this, no, this is not going to be completely Star Wars-centric, we'll finish up with some Star Wars. We'll talk a little bit of Star Wars. But a regular geeky episode, but hopefully uh, you're taking advantage of all the amazing stuff that is available on May the 4th. There's usually deals on all the sites where you can get some great t-shirts and collectibles and everything. Usually stores do some stuff for May the 4th. And uh, I just hope I hope it's really good. And if you uh, do not celebrate May the 4th, then celebrate on Saturday, Revenge of the 5th. Celebrate, friends. Celebrate your good side, preferably your good side. But, you know, it could be the light side of the force. It can be the dark side of the force. Just celebrate. What a world we live in. And literally, we're actually less than two weeks away from the Han Solo movie coming out, from a new Star Wars movie. And I know some people have some trepidation about that movie. But why? Why have trepidation? Why not just be excited that another Star Wars movie is coming out? But let's just kick right off in the podcast because this is a late night. I don't know if it's sultry Wookiee, but late night Wookiee, which you know some of my friends like Danny say is the best Wookiee because I'm just tired and my brain goes everywhere. But uh, we're going to just kick off with some fuzzy thoughts. And just to start with my fuzzy thoughts, it's Friday. This podcast is coming out. If you're listening tomorrow on Revenge of the 5th, May 5th, free comic book day. Friends, take advantage. This is where all of your local comic book haberdasheries have free comics you don't have to pay one red cent for and you and you get your free comic and sorry i didn't get the the warning out i'll put up a, something on laugh it up fuzzballs i'm sure just to remind people of a free comic book day go get your free comics and go go pay for other comics keep the art form alive you know co- please you know be be patrons of these establishments and keep the funny books there sure there's digital there's the marvel now and 
you know, all of the good ways you can digitally read comics, but there's just something about holding a comic in your hand. Like, I actually loaned uh, year three of Injustice to my roommate. Then I guess something happened. He spilled water on it, so he got me a replacement copy because he didn't want to give me back the comic. All messed up. And it, it, when he pulled it out of the thing, you know, it came in the mail. It was just like, oh, this pristine, like, issue of the trade that I didn't even have to pull off a bookshelf. And it just, wow, it's so good. It's physical. It's tangible. It's in my hands. And it smells, smells nice. And, uh, yeah, go go get yourself some smell nice. some Something real and tangible in this world that you can enjoy. While, while digital's great, sometimes I'm like, it's it's not real. You know, playing, I, I play a Simpsons game and... I, Lord knows too much money's probably been spent on it. And uh, it's not, not tangible, even though I have a town and I, I, I've worked on my town and tapped out and it looks good. It, uh, it, it could be gone. Could be gone in, in a snap or a blink. It just could be gone. Yeah, could be gone. So free comic book day. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Go get some comics. I guess Fuzzy Thoughts really is just a, a place for me to talk about whatever. I don't have any like things that I, I wrote down notes, but I realize you know Fuzzy Thoughts is a great place just to talk about the Laugh at Fuzzballs page and uh, my thoughts on anything that was there. And Ryan actually put a review of the Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery Game, which sort of bummed me out. I haven't gotten a chance to play it. It is a game by EA. It is called Harry Potter's Hogwarts or Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery. You get to you get your your invitation from the owl. You get to go be a wizard, Harry or or, or Monica or Liz or Dan or or or, or whatever your name is. <laughs> All you fuzzballs, you get you get your owl and you get to go to Hogwarts and. I'm sure you probably get to pick your eye color and your hair color and what your skin color looks like. And you get to go be a wizard. And uh, apparently, Ryan, who, you, as you know, has recorded a podcast or two with me. He's a big pothead. Said it was a waste of time. And that it, true to form to EA, lots of microtransactions. It doesn't mean you can't finish the game. But, uh, of course, they want to find ways for you to have to speed things up. I have not played the game at all. I actually really, really, really want to get Ryan here on the podcast just to talk some more Harry Potter and for his complete review and him just talking about that game I think that'd be lovely summer's coming up plenty of time so Ryan I know you listen let's get you on the podcast this is me calling you out and now you're gonna have to do your uh waving to Lieutenant Dan wave because you had a shout out drive safe <laughs> but uh oh there's so great such great things uh Ryan also threw a thing up there uh having to do with Infinity War not spoilers but uh you just click and you see uh if Thanos were to uh, to come and do, per the comics, his goal of getting rid of half of the universe, if you would survive or not. And uh, uh, much to my chagrin, I survived, but my beautiful Heather did not. And that is not okay. Bring me Thanos! But uh, yeah, you could click on that and see if you were spared. And I guess you know, we, we could all figure out who's left. I know uh, Jacob and Lexi are left. And off the top of my head, I can't think of other people that are left. But yeah. Yes, other people were, uh, were were gone for the good of the galaxy. I don't know if that's ever good for anybody to be gone. So, uh, yeah, you can check out that. Also, Blue put up a really funny Daredevil joke. <laughs> just making fun of him being blind, but sometimes there's just really good geek jokes. He also put up a really hilarious Pokemon rap all about the Avengers, which I listened to way too many times. I think I commented as such. 
the Ryan threw up a, a Dory and the silence for anybody who's a big fan of Doctor Who. And I was like, oh, poor Dory. And uh, although I haven't watched that much Doctor Who, I actually have seen um, the episodes or at least some episodes of that references. And it's poor Dory. You leave Dory alone. Oh, wow. Aliens are the reason that she's so forgetful. <laughs> not not good. Ryan put up Chewbacca, man. Yeah, that's right. A Chewbacca-Aquaman hybrid. Chewbacca-Man. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> really, really made me laugh. And then Heather, you know, she sent me an image of, of spoilers. Literally spoilers of Cars. And it's just funny. It, I had to put it up. I had to share it on another movie page. Really, really good. And then, of course, Arvin put up a really great geek debate over getting rid of either Marvel, Harry Potter, DC, Star Wars, or Lord of the Rings, which which was pretty popular. 46 comments. I think uh, that's, that's, that's a lot of comments for, uh, for a post on the Laugh It Up Fuzzballs. But I really, I hope for uh, really great stuff. Jacob threw up something about Arrested Development getting a season five on Netflix, which I thought was exciting. And friends, if you're listening to the podcast, make sure you're on Laugh It Up Fuzzballs for all the all the geeky talk and uh, as of right now looking at it right now we've got 402 members and uh, go on add your friends please let's uh let's get the members up we went from like 280 something to 402 i think that's mainly because i invited a bunch more people on my friends list you can literally just go and add whoever you want let's get as much geeky people as we can talking about all this geek stuff that we love and speaking of geek stuff that we love we can go right into flavor of the geek Friends, did you see the Ant-Man and Wasp trailer? I actually put that up on the Laugh It Up Fuzzballs group, but uh, it's mainly because people were like, does it say anything about Infinity War? And friends, the movie's not even two weeks old. Like, of course it doesn't say anything about Infinity War. It could have something to do with that. There could be a hook at at the end. There could be a hook at the beginning. But what we're going to get is more Ant-Man goodness, and boy, does this look like it's going to have it. It, There's more Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly, and then, of course, uh, Michael Douglas and Michael Pena, and it, it just, it looks fun. And there's going to be lots of embiggening and lots of, what's the opposite of embiggening? I know that's a made up word from The Simpsons, a perfectly cromulent word, but embiggening, uh, uh, so debiggening? Yeah, that's when you get small, right? Debiggening. So there'll be embiggening and there'll be debiggening. And uh, yeah, and, and, and from the two trailers, actually, before I went to go see Infinity War for a second time with my beautiful Heather, we watched a new trailer. And uh, then when we went to see the movie, they actually had the original trailer. So you're going to see things get big. You're going to see things get small. Uh, and then you're going to see Goliath and Ant-Man compare sizes. And, and really, wow, it just it looks like it's going to be a great movie. Morpheus himself is going to play play uh, Goliath. And yes, Lawrence Fishburne. And I, I, I can't wait. I really hope we get to see Lawrence Fishburne as Goliath. And I'm, I'm really excited for how, how it all shakes out. And uh, I, I pr- honestly don't care that right now I don't know how it, uh, it applies to Infinity War. We're still on a no-spoiler train here on Laugh It Up Fuzzball. But uh, yeah, I, I'm really, really excited. I, uh, I want to see, I, I want to laugh. I want to have my palate cleansed, if you will, after seeing Infinity War. I just want to see a good old issue of, of a comic book movie because actually Kevin Smith said that uh, Avengers Infinity War was like a giant size annual where just everybody's together and there's all this stuff going but all of the movies the 18 movies before it were all single issues and that's that's you know there's single issues of comics which are really great and then there's the big blowout events which are like whoa what's going on so much and they bring up feelings both good and bad for me Infinity War having seen it twice now 
I'm still riding it. I think the hype is real. I think it's a great movie. I think uh, it's as far as pop culture, it's a pop culture touchstone. People are going to talk about this, and I'm I'm really curious in ten years how how younger people are going to talk about this movie. Talked with one of my friends that you know it could actually be like the Empire Strikes Back of this generation. Maybe we'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. But it, it certainly has uh, brought up a lot of provocative and evocative conversations. And uh, I'm still at the point where I can't talk openly about it with people just because, you know, there's others I haven't seen. And I'm always very clear if I'm having an Infinity War conversation to find out if all the people in the immediate vicinity have seen the movie. But uh, the cloaking or the the Ant-Man and Wasp trailer looks really good. I'm already already mixing up words tired. I also put up a trailer on Laughing at Fuzzballs for Cloak and Dagger. That that looks really good. Uh, I'm looking forward to that coming out. Comes out in June. And uh, yeah. It looks like it'd be really good. Looks uh looks a lot of ways like in the vein of the Runaways, but uh we'll, we shall see. They've done some stuff to change the story for Cloak and Dagger, at least like where they come from, like mixing it up a bit. But uh it it, it looks like it could be a really really good show, and uh, I'm sure I'll probably be watching it when it comes out, and I'll let you know all about it, how I feel. One of the one of the new things to talk about is just something that Blue brought up in the last uh the last episode of Laugh It Up Fuzzball, which actually. I looked it up. I mentioned it on there. It was technically the 100th recording of Laugh It Up Fuzzball, if you include all the bonus odes, which is sort of interesting. You know, we'll have the official 100th episode where we'll, I don't know if we'll do anything special or if it'll just be regular. It'll be during the summer. So I don't see why not, why we couldn't do something special. But yeah, uh, he brought up Moon Knight coming to Marvel TV. And I was so like, I, I don't know. I just, I didn't respond to it the way that I wanted to and I was so excited so I made sure to go look up this entire you know the the Daredevil showrunner you know saying Stephen S. Tonight the director of Pacific Rim Uprising saying that he wanted to do Moon Knight and it's not exactly like official like it's happening basically he was talking about Pacific Rim Uprising and they talked to him about you know current and future projects and he said that he would like to do Moon Knight and, uh, but he also said back, you know, when he was doing Daredevil that he'd expressed interest in Iron Fist and Punisher. Obviously, he wasn't involved in those. So I say, yes, please, Marvel Television for the Netflix shows or Disney with your streaming app. Let's get Moon Knight on, on, the, on the small screen. Let's, let's get it, please. But I just, I guess I just wanted to clarify that uh, it's not official. Like, Moon Knight isn't coming to Marvel TV, but there is somebody interested in and bringing it to Marvel TV, but even in the same articles that I was reading, you know, Steven and I is busy with other projects, so there's there's no guarantees that we're we're going to be getting Moon Knight on on uh, on Netflix or whatever. So I just want to make sure I did my due diligence. Well, something I did discover, really interested actually, was something that just popped up on my Facebook feed. You know, they they bring up those things like you might be interested in this, and if since I'm a geek. What all the geek stuff pops up, but apparently the last Airbender is going to be getting comics that continue the story, so uh, the story may not be over. We're going to be getting more, and then there's even you know it might even connect to Legend of Korra, and there's going to be comics that are coming out. So if you're a big comic aficionado, big Last Airbender fan, friends, you're getting some comics that are going to be continuing this story, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's, that sounds really really cool. Sounds super dope. Also, I put it up on Laugh It Up Fuzzballs. Wow, this is literally like Wookie endorses the Facebook group. But uh, I put up some images of Nick Fury or Sam Jackson, the actor, uh, in Captain Marvel. You know, two eyes, 
hair and a blue suit and it looks really cool i'm excited for captain marvel that comes out beginning next year i think it's march but it might actually be february and uh yeah for this 90s movie i think it's going to be great you know captain marvel since it's in the 90s is definitely going to be before infinity war but who knows how it's all gonna gonna tie into avengers 4 i'm, I'm pretty certain it's going to tie into avengers 4 but uh, yeah, I can't wait to see Captain Marvel with the Kree and the scrolls and wearing that Kree green Captain Marvel suit. I'm sure at some point she'll get a red, white, and blue suit. And uh, yeah, I think uh, really good seeing Coulson and, and seeing Korath and uh, seeing Ronan the Accuser. I think all these things will be really, really cool. And uh, just getting images. They're filming. It's happening. It's coming. It's coming, friends. But, you know, Avengers, I saw it the second time, and while this is nowhere near the spoilers, I've said I enjoyed it just as much the second time. Go see it. I enjoy seeing people's reactions. I enjoyed standing, like, waiting for the movie, you know, to be able to go into the movie theater for the guys to sweep up all the popcorn from the previous people and just seeing the reactions of the people as they come out. I'm not going to tell you what the reactions were, but uh, definitely the movie affects people. And uh, good for Avengers. It's box office, $258 million domestic and like 630 international, which doesn't include China. I think it actually comes out in China this weekend. So number one worldwide, number one domestic in North America, number one international, setting all the records. And I mean, heck, Black Panther even got a bump to number five last week with another $4 million just because people wanted to see Black Panther before they saw Infinity War and not to bash DC, but if you really compare, you know, the 258 domestic, Justice League totaled like 229 million for its entire whole run. So in four days, this new Avengers movie totally walloped DC, and I'm sure it has all of their executives like, what are we doing wrong? And just figure it out. People love DC. I love DC. The comics are so great. So hopefully this is a nice spark for them. Like, you know, they just see all this money falling into the hands of Disney and Marvel. And they're like, we like money too. And yes, a lot of people like money and you have these great, great properties. So maybe, maybe your Aquaman movie, or is it Chewbacca man is, is going to be good in November. You know, there was footage screened at CinemaCon. Uh, who knows if that can help save the DCU, but you know, Wonder Woman 2 is a movie that's going to be, going to be coming out. Actually, Patty Jenkins confirmed that, uh, the movie will be set in the 1980s, and there was I heard some some talk about it having a having a, a cold wear cold cold not cold wear that's uh that's when you have a dishware and it's cold cold wear but no it's gonna you know have cold war implications and uh, as as somebody who grew up in the 80s I I remember distinctly cold war and Mr Gorbachev tear down that wall that's my really bad uh Reagan impersonation <laughs> Ronnie Ronnie Reagan. <laughs> Yeah, but then all of a sudden I'm going to sound like George H, not George H.W. Bush. That's a dad. Sound like George W. Bush. Actually, uh, haven't told to do a mean impersonation of that. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't really want to brag. You know, just sometimes there's a voice. Uh, I do pretty good. You know, I just wake up in the morning and I say, hey, Condi, how do you, how do you feel about? I just want everybody to know I'm going to be the Wookiee for everybody. Everybody. And uh, there's there's too many geeks not able to, to say their love in D.C. Because yeah, uh, the movies haven't been that great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the BVS and uh, said, Connie, it's not very good. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's, I don't know if that's, I could probably do it better if I wasn't so completely tired. But yeah, uh, we're, there's good movies, Aquaman, Wonder Woman 2, 
and Shazam! Shazam! With the Zachary Levi in a muscle suit. Or maybe not in a muscle suit, because he did post some pictures showing off his workout progress. So, uh... Yeah, we're, we're going to be getting more DC movies, and then, you know, there's a Birds of Prey movie, and Batgirl, and, and whatnot. The, there's more movies coming. So, uh, and yeah, I, I want all the DC movies to be good. I want as many good geek, geeky, geeky movies, and especially comic book movies coming out. Um, I haven't really talked Simpsons all that much on the podcast. You know, I say Simpsons in the, in the opening. I, I really, really love the Simpsons so much. Lately, over over the last six or seven months, I haven't haven't watched the show as much as I would like to. I'm actually really, really behind on the latest season, season 29. It's going all the way to season 30. But uh, Simpsons officially last Sunday became the longest running scripted television show. It beats Gunsmoke with 636 episodes, and of course, it's it's still going. The season's still going, and then it's going into its 30th season. And congratulations, Matt Groening and Gracie Films and everybody involved and all the voice talent, you know, Harry Sharer and Dan Castellaneta and Julie Kavner and, and everybody. Wow. Wowza. Wowza. Gawowza. It's so, so dang cool. There are people that have never lived in a world where there weren't Simpsons. And, and that's just, that's insane. Once upon a time, there are people that had never lived in a world without Gunsmoke. But uh, now, now that's The Simpsons, longest running, and woo, woohoo, as Homer would say, congratulations, and uh, yeah, and Ralph Wiggum is still a little bit confused about why the gun is smoking, but that's okay, Ralph, just uh, keep eating those Crayolas, and uh, you'll be okay, you'll be okay, but congratulations, Simpsons. We've got a, you know, CinemaCon happened recently. Apparently there was footage for uh, M. Night Shyamalan, Shyamalama Ding Dong's newest movie, Glass. Uh, he's calling it a grounded superhero movie. This movie is directly connected to to Unbreakable with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson as the villain. And uh, also connected to another movie. But I guess I won't mention it because I guess that's a spoiler. I haven't even seen the other movie, but I know that it's connected. Uh, it is a trilogy of sorts, but uh, Glass is going to be coming out. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested. I guess I need to see the the middle movie of the trilogy first, but uh, it's it's coming. We got some casting news for Titans. They casted uh, Connor Leslie as Wonder Girl, so just another character that is gonna be in this Titan show, which is gonna be on the DC streaming service. But I've heard that like the push off the push date of when the DC streaming service is starting. Is uh is being pushed back and I don't I don't know how that all works I don't know if maybe uh they're not doing the streaming service or they're looking at Netflix or what but uh, Wonder Girl being in Titans yeah you know I've heard some pushback I heard some people saw some images of Beast Boy and also uh oh what's her noodle Starfire and they didn't like it and uh, while while I haven't seen those images I I'm still really curious. For the show, you know, the, you're you're gonna be getting so much good stuff. Doom Patrol, and and Red Robin potentially, and uh, yeah, it just it just really really looks like it could be a cool show. And why not? You know, DC does some really amazing stuff with all of its television, and uh, yeah, I I think I think it's exciting. I don't think the folks Greg Berlanti and all of them aren't involved in this Titan show, but uh, we'll we'll see we'll see how it all shakes out. A uh, movie that I actually saw a trailer for before the second time I saw Infinity War. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And they have revealed villains in the movie. 
not just one, not two, not three, and not hopefully not in a Spider-Man three sort of way. There's just too many villains. Maybe they'll get away with this, you know, the Miles Morales Spider-Man movie. But uh, Green Goblin, the Kingpin, and the Prowler. So there you go. The Prowler makes sense, though, since it's a Miles Morales movie. But yeah, lots of villains. And uh, yeah, if you haven't seen the trailer, you know, it's it's a Spider-Verse. So this is a, a universe where, you know, <laughs> I almost said Tobey Maguire, but Peter Parker exists. And uh, I just thought, that, why did I even say I almost said it? I could have just said Peter Parker, but that's just me. I'm tired. But uh, yeah, villains, villains galore. The Kingpin originally is a Spider-Man villain, not originally a Daredevil villain. So yeah, and I hope it's Kingpin, like OG comic looking Kingpin. I think that could be really good. Although I really did like the Kingpin and the Daredevil and then, uh, you know, Punisher and all that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that could be really, really neat. There was a, a, just a fun little snippet that I heard Jason Momoa apparently in an interview. I think the interview might have actually been with Will Arnett, but uh, was asked who he thought the best Batman was, and he said that Will Arnett is the best Batman. Uh, I, I guess I probably should have looked it up to see uh, to see if uh, it actually was Will Arnett doing the interview, if he was right there when the question got asked. But yeah, so Jason Momoa says that uh, Will Arnett is the best Batman, and take that, Batfleck take that but that that batman lego batman movie was so really good hilarious but also a really good batman story and uh i i thought i, I like it i own it i thought it was great so yeah will arnett really good batman i don't, I don't know that you're better than michael keaton or or christian bale in a couple of his movies but uh you did a really good job your voice talent really good you're batman batman heavy metal batman <laughs> so good job uh, if you're a big fan of the the comic property Heathen, apparently it's getting adapted for a feature film by uh, Prime Universe, being written by Kerry Williamson. So I have not read this comic. I'm, I do not know anything about Heathen, although I've actually heard a little bit about it. Apparently a an outcast Viking female, an outcast because she's a lesbian. And uh, that's, that's about where my knowledge of the property <laughs> ends but, you know, Heathen is a, a comic that people enjoy, and uh, it's it's going to be turned into a movie, and I, I think that's great. I, I imagine we're going to be seeing more and more comic properties turned into into movies and turned into television shows. I actually heard some pundits talking about this one, saying that they, uh, they didn't know if uh, it was originally going to be a television series. But now, you know, from a com or from an article I saw on Screen Rant, it is it is a female Viking comic, and uh, it's it's been been optioned, and it's published by Vault Comics. The comic creator is Natasha Alterici, and uh, yeah, it's uh it's gonna be really really interesting. The apparently I'm looking it up actually now on the article. The Adis is the main character, declares war on Odin himself. And uh, there's an original run that was sold out. Uh, there's a second run, apparently, or a second volume of the comic. It's due to be released in July. It's widely acclaimed by critics. And, uh, yeah, apparently there's one organization, the Young Adult Library Service Association, says it's a good graphic novel for teens. So uh, there you go. And I'm looking at the image of, of the main character, Adis, and uh, she looks very very good she looks very pretty but apparently she likes girls so it, it doesn't matter doesn't matter what you think she looks like and uh yeah 
So you're there. That comic is getting turned into a film, and I guess I can shut up about it since I don't know much more. Uh, we got the Watchmen HBO series. I saw some stuff. People just like there was this really weird, strange like breakdown for police officers that were in the show. I tell people like, just, oh man, whenever you see a news article going on, baka baka baka, you know maybe maybe just uh, don't don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, don't don't let it bother you. Just move on. Uh, just be happy that there's a Watchmen HBO series, or don't be happy because you're like the the graphic novel by Alan Moore is amazing, and uh, there was a a movie you know made made by uh, by Snyder Zack Snyder that that a lot of people liked. I thought it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. And uh, now you're going to get a show. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if it's still going to be set in the past with Nixon. I think it would be really interesting if they set it in the present with Trump. Um, I think uh, it would be really great. It could be huge, <laughs> so to speak. But, uh, yeah, we're going to get more details about you know HBO's Watchmen as, as we get closer to it. Uh, on the HBO front, just you know prepare yourself because the Fahrenheit 451 sh- movie, not show, movie is coming and it's it's coming soon friends it's something to be excited about i don't know an official date but there was another trailer that i saw i don't know if it's a an old trailer that was put up or or a new trailer but man it it just looks really good michael b jordan and uh uh michael shannon is that his name oh no no i can't even think uh michael b jordan yeah michael shannon and uh, yeah, like uh, just really, I love that book, and um, I can't wait for uh, for this movie to come out. No, literally, I just looked it up. It just says uh, twenty eighteen for the initial release. Hopefully, coming sooner rather than later. Actually, well, it was released at uh, Cannes in May, or it's going to be released at the Cannes Film Festival. So they have a cut, and I mean, it's coming soon. It's coming soon, and yay, yay, yay. I think uh, I think that's really really good news. Also, just uh, you know, Henry Cavill's been talking about you know more Superman movies, and people are are wondering if he re-upped with uh, WB and DC to continue being Superman. There's been rumor that he's going to be in the Captain uh, I said Captain Marvel movie, but when I say Captain Marvel movie in this regard, I actually mean Shazam, Shazam. So uh, yeah, I think uh, I think. Yeah, more Henry Cavill, please. The Man of Steel too. I'd like to see. And one thing about Justice League that I enjoyed was I finally felt like Henry Cavill actually got to be be the Superman that I know and love. So please, 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 more Henry Cavill. Uh, Kevin Feige actually was talk talking a little, of course, because of Infinity War. He's talking all the time. There's a bunch of actual like news stories about Infinity War that I didn't put in the news just because. I think even those those news articles are spoilers, but this is not a spoiler. Just that uh, he has said that uh, Marvel is mapped out to twenty twenty five, meaning they have they have figured out a lot of the movies that they're going to be putting out, but they're not going to be releasing all those movies until probably after Avengers four. Next year is already set, so uh, yeah, after Avengers four, you'll find out you'll have a Spider Man movie apparently after Avengers four because Sony has that on their docket, and then you will see what your what your next movies are going to be we'll see how successful they can be you know because they're gonna have to start filming at some point for movies they're going to come out in 2020 unless they've already secretly filmed it while they were doing all the filming for uh avengers infinity war and avengers 4 but um yeah we'll see what those what those new movies are and uh i'm i'm really excited i'm sure black panther 2 guardians of the galaxy 3 
are in there and I wouldn't be surprised to see you know Doctor Strange too and no none of these are spoilers about what happens in Infinity War um, I, I just think yeah why not and then hopefully we get the Black Widow movie that people are talking about and then who knows what you'll get you we, maybe we'll see more Captain America maybe we'll see more Iron Man who knows maybe we'll see more Thor we shall see other news we got I actually discovered this today it may not even be news but I put it down because I thought it was news Hasbro apparently purchased the toy and movie rights to Power Rangers and Power Rangers apparently were the best-selling toys of 2017 so now Hasbro has those rights to make all the toy money they they got it for for millions and millions of dollars and search your your dr. evil quotes your evil quotes but uh but the movie rights, you know, has a lot of people talking because they have that AllSpark Productions and they've got the Mask movie that we talked about on the last episode. And then, of course, Transformers falls in there and G.I. Joe and lot, lots of other stuff. And they, they definitely have said that they want to have an interconnected universe. You know, everybody wants that because Marvel's making all the money with their Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we shall see what comes. There was a Power Ranger movie that I still have not seen, heard good, and I've heard bad about it. Uh, could that continue? Could they just reboot the whole thing again? You know, I don't, I don't, I, I do not know. Will it be Saban's Power Rangers or is it now Hasbro's Power Rangers? Time will tell. And just the last thing, just the bookend, the flavor of the geek, you know, because it's really been a laughing at fuzzballs issue. Uh, but with everything on the Facebook page, I, I put it up a trailer. But Castle Rock is premiering on Hulu June 25th. This is the entire show using lots of stuff from the Stephen King universe and telling a, a horror horror movie uh, or horror show of sorts. And uh, we shall see what's all in there. I, I fully plan on supporting this, A, because I'm a giant Stephen King fan, and B, because I'm actually also a big Mark Bernardin fan. He of the, the duo with Kevin Smith on, on Fat Man on Batman, but he is one of the screenwriters, wrote an entire episode of Castle Rock. So for no other reason than that, I would definitely support it because I believe in supporting the, the entertainment people, the pundits, if you will, who uh, who you enjoy listening to, you, you support them. And yeah, yeah, Castle Rock. And plus, I'm, I'm such a huge Stephen King fan. I'm a really big guy. I'm a big fan. <laughs> but I'm also, even if I was a small guy, I'd be a really big fan. But that's, that's enough geek news. Now let's get into what I promised. I'm like, hell, I've already talked for 30 minutes. Haven't get, even gotten to all the stuff that I said I was going to. So we're literally in a, in a not really spoilerific, but a supersized small screen Star Wars sci-fi superhero synopsis. Lots and lots of television that I've watched to talk about and to catch up. So we're just going to kick right off with Supergirl Season 3, Episode 14. Shot through the heart, and you're to blame. You give comic book shows a good name. That's right. Shot through the heart is uh, is the name, and it's shot because it's it's Winslow shot. Win on Supergirl is Winslow shot Jr. And yes, that is the name of the toy maker. And yes, he is the son of the toy maker. And yes, this episode has to do with that. All begins with karaoke. And man, I love me some karaoke. And then the great character interactions just make me love the show. I also really like an episode that calls back to Winstad from season one of the of the show. You get a minor kerfuffle with flying monkey, monkeys, which apparently is uh, two out of ten on the pain in the ass scale. And this episode is mainly about when dealing with abandonment and heartbreak and, and issues with his mom and his dad. There's more teases 
for whatever the JLA's mission is, and then me feeling bad for Kara whenever she's around Monel. This episode was wind centric, and that made me happy since I don't think he gets enough credit. He really is a good actor. And then the show does things like including social messages about being black in America and potential racism in America, and deals with elder memory loss. If that's not enough. There's a threat that is a toy maker, and then cape tricks, and literal Hot Wheels, which are remote control cars with flamethrowers, and a mother truck and Tyrannosaurus Rex. I'm always going to be excited when a dinosaur is involved. Really fun episode with a great pun of a title that let Wynn act his face off next to his mom, played greatly by Laurie Metcalf. Yay. My only complaint would be that characters I know could sing didn't get to show off their chops during the karaoke, but that's okay. Really Really, it is. I wanted Wynn to sing his face off because of all the people he sings the best, but he didn't. But that's okay because nobody wanted to upstage anybody. Episode 15 called In Search of Lost Time. I know I'm biased when it comes to Supergirl, but since it's the one show that me and Heather and watch together every week, I really enjoy it. But seriously, when was the last time you saw a beatdown in a photo booth start off an episode? <laughs> then there's there's just more to this great episode dealing with Martian Manhunter's dad that includes Supergirl learning the cape tricks from Monel, Martian mind powers, heartbreak for John and Martian dad hunter. The show finally gets to dealing more with Kara's feelings with Monel being back, and then there's good stuff for Lena and and Sam, and also lots of villainous aliens, courtesy of what's going on. That includes a white Martian. It, it deals with Elder Mirren Jones dealing with feelings of losing his independence and feelings of losing his dignity, and it was all just magic. Also a big fan of Monel's new JLA outfit, and this was just another really good episode that led to episode 16 of Two Minds, and in my humble opinion, we're three for three with good Supergirl episodes. This episode is back to dealing with world killers, and this time it's Pestilence, who is also a future threat for the JLA, although they call her Blight. This is basically a detective story where they have to try to find the source of contagion that impacts not just the citizens of the National City, but also members of the DEO. Safe to say, all the good guys are invested in figuring this all out. Where this episode shines, really, is it deals with Saturn Girl believing in only one way to deal with the problem versus the all-American good that is Supergirl. Also, I'll admit it openly here on the podcast, but my beautiful Heather called who the world killer was before me or even the show knew who it was. I'm lucky to be marrying a genius who likes all the geeky stuff that I do. Brainiac 5 gets a human look here, which I thought was a good way to go, although I hope they sometimes show his blueness on occasion. They did in this episode. It was cool. Win also gets some acting moments, which always make me cheer. Then Pestilence is finally revealed. It all goes down crazily, and you know this whole thing is going to be one doozy of a smackdown in the final episodes between everybody and the world killers. I'm also happy that the whole Lena Luthor secretly treating Sam thing finally headed somewhere good. I really like this episode. Well, I haven't talked too much about it. I'm happy that the doom and gloom that started this season finally found a way to get back to the Supergirl stuff that I love to watch. It includes humor within all of its serious. You know, the heart, the humor, and the spectacle. And I really, really feel Supergirl does a good job with that. Watch The Flash Season 4, Episode 18, Lose Yourself. (sighs) Insert angry Wookiee noises for this episode. Basically, we get a should heroes kill plot that's been done before but it leads to a hero falling and i'm sad and i'm mad about it not a complete loss since we get super hippy dippy the folded man 
the thinker's evil plan is moving forward. Ralph and Barry continue their tensions, but of of different different thinking about the way to deal with stuff. But they also bond as teammates. There's a cosmic two new fork which could potentially defeat and or kill Devoe. And you know I'm gonna be happy to see Robot Samurai's return. Joe gets some time to kick ass. There's the return of the animated T-Rex skeleton from a previous episode. Yeah, that's right. T-Rex is in Supergirl and T-Rex is in Flash. The Wookiee's always going to be happy. And then uh, Ralph uses his elongated powers. And, and the problem really for this episode just lies, and I'm mad at how the story ended, even if it probably is good writing to further the story. We'll, we'll just see how it all ends. Episode 19, called Fury Rogue. And this episode revolves around Barry dealing with uh, with loss and what that does for his ability to be a hero. Story also revolves around Fallout, who is a bust meta who's basically a walking nuke. Then the righteousness righteousness it is a return to Earth X, so we can get heroic Leonard Snart, but also a villain in the form of Siren X. Uh, and that particular Nazi infested universe ha- has lots of villains, and and Siren X is. That, that universe's version of Laurel Lance. I dig gay Captain Cold so much, and, I, and I, I, I just like the actor. I like the character. Anytime he's on screen, it's really a good time. There's also continued tension between DeVoe and his wife Marlies, and then there's the furthering of his plan. I, I think I just liked that this episode dealt with events from previous episodes, since I, I sort of felt like I needed a bit of therapy after watching uh, episode 18 as well. Hooray for Dr. Finkel returning. You know, it's just sort of been a thing that's popping up here and there in this season. Dr. Finkel, the, the psychologist for Barry and uh, and his beautifulness. Overall, it was a good episode, but I think uh, I liked it more just because Snart and uh, Evil Dopper, Doppelganger, Laurel Lance were in there. I think that's really what made it enjoyable for me. I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, the Thinker, the Thinker's one heck of a villain when he's on screen and um, is, is super overpowered right now almost makes you wonder how they're they're gonna figure out how to do it because there's stuff going on for all sorts of characters episode 20 is called therefore she is and it's just that team flash dealing with the machinations of the thinker seems damn nigh unstoppable and also it deals with whatever's going on with harry no, I actually know what's going on with Harry, but I'm cognizant that I should remain as spoiler-free as possible, so I, I, I said it that way. Uh, the entire Cisco and Gypsy thing continues. Really rad to see Gypsy back for an episode. Also really quite great that we get flashbacks for DeVoe and his wife uh, that flesh out their plans and their interpersonal going on and their relationship up to this point. While this episode does have Team Flash trying to stop DeVoe's plan to build technology to facilitate his enlightenment of Earth too reliant on technology, it really is more about furthering the stories of Harry and Sisko and others. The Thinker and Mechanic also get their story furthered, and um, and there's lots of story for them, and the result is super interesting, especially because there's tidbits from previous episodes that are thrown in. Certainly curious about where everything's going to end up with a new wrinkle that happens at the end of this episode. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it of the of the Flash episodes. I think 18 probably was the one that hit me the most in the heart. And episode 19 is probably the one that hit me the most in the spectacle. And uh, and, and episode 20 was uh, not the one that hit me the most in the humor. It just, it was good. I enjoyed it. I liked episode 20 more than I liked episode 19. But all of them are good. Barry's my boy. Run, Barry, run. And I enjoyed it. We got Arrow season 6, episode 19, The Dragon. And Arrow has felt dark and sad this season with everything falling apart. 
you know, based on the machinations of Diaz, a.k.a. the dragon. And somehow the writers thought that the best way to do a filler episode was let us know a backstory for the bad guy, which also includes him trying up his bad guy cred by becoming part of a criminal organization in Bloodhaven called the Quadrant. While there's interesting stuff like Diaz's horrible childhood in an orphanage, it's ultimately just felt like weird filler, made only weirder by brief, brief appearances of Oliver, Felicity, and Curtis that really do nothing for the story. I, I guess it was okay, but any critics of the show or any of the DC shows who say you know their stories could be told in shorter seasons would find this episode as, as really good evidence for their case. You know, also that and the fact that Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl and Black Lightning have done exactly that this year, told their stories or shorter episodes. But, you know, anywho, Diaz, he's a bad guy. Be glad that you didn't bully him as a kid. Uh, he gets what he wants, however he needs to, and he does whatever he thinks is necessary. And that's probably the lesson that's supposed to be learned by watching this episode. Uh, but the next episode, episode 20, Shifting Allegiances, you know, Ollie is really doing things all on his own. That means that now he's got to make plans, and this plan now is to change the loyalty of his old friend Anatoly. As far as shifting allegiances go, it's not just there where you know someone's trying to shift allegiances. We also get the new Team Arrow, which is Mr. Terrific, Black Canary, and a recently returned from the hospital Wild Dog, teaming up with Diggle, who is now working for Argus. As much as I wasn't the biggest fan of the previous episode, at least events from that are in this one that apply to Diaz's plans for Star City. There's a, a classic team mission here. You know, Ollie's not involved, but things go boom, and I like seeing some good guys win moments. Also, Diaz, there's a Diaz versus Oliver fight, which, oh, I've been wanting it, and it it did not disappoint. But uh, it ends in a way that may change things for, for a future story. Certainly, the ending of the episode really, really provides some interesting aspects that are going to have to be dealt with for the Green Hour. Good stuff for Laura Lance here and her not dad, but he wishes he was Father Quentin. It really can't be easy for Quentin Lance to be the mayor of a city that that's heroes don't work together and has an evil crime boss who controls way too much of the infrastructure. Overall, this was a good episode. It was decent, and we'll see how it all plays out. It really will. In fact, tonight there was the newest episode of The Arrow, but uh, I watched it on the CW app, so I won't be able to watch it till tomorrow. So it'll be on, on next week's episode. We got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5, Episode 15. I said I was going to catch up with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and boy, howdy did I. Uh, episode 15 is called Rise and Shine, and you get Coulson and General Hell's Secret Lair. Brings us flashback to the evil ladies last, uh, well, while Hale was growing up in Hydra. You had the return of Daniel Whitehall, mentioned a Red Skull and the Tesseract, Gideon Malik, aliens mentioned uh, with the name drop of the Confederacy, General Talbot, Talbot is back, outranks Captain Crunch, <laughs> it's actually a joke in there, you had CrossFit Tinkerbell, aka Hale's daughter Ruby, uh, and she also fits in the flashbacks, um, they go from 18 years previous to 2 years and then 6 months prior to the current story, which all connects to the Destroyer World stuff and is really good. There's even Captain America stuff here. What's even better is they still find ways to deal with what's going on with all the other agents in the last part. So, yep, Fitz, Gemma, Yo-Yo, Mac, Daisy, concepts of time loops and invincibility. And overall, it was a dope episode. Episode 16, Inside Voices, many different moving plots, but we have new reveals for Gravitonium. Crusher Creel, Absorbing Man is there. There's Coulson and Talbot. Then there's a prison break, and Gemma and Yo-Yo convinced that potentially evil fits may be the best bet to discover Hydra's plan. 
And then we get Daisy, May, and Deke seeking future Crayola artist Robin to find Coulson. Like I said, lots of moving parts, but it was really, really enjoyable. At the end, there was a really fun uh, little scene with Gravitonium, which uh, just offers some new ideas. And uh, a, f a familiar face who's just shown just so you'd be like, hey, I remember that person. And, and fun, fun, fun. Episode 17, entitled The Honeymoon, The Prison Break of Coulson and Mac starts some some really fun action in the snow and uh you know we finally you finally get to see daisy and ruby square off and and that's good we get yo-yo fitz and simmons on a mission to a vacant soviet hydra base where they they're gonna fight all sorts of robots led by the baddest lmd from last season and like i said that ruby versus daisy fight just made me so happy and then there's also rad robot fights that make me nostalgic for age of ultron here i guess uh, seriously fitz and simmons get some action and i'm not referencing the honeymoon title which <laughs> it's 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 action action not not that type of action he has some shoot shoot bang bang punch punch stuff and uh characters maybe maybe some characters truly are invincible also, uh, a hurt agent, unexpected surgical tension, and then a uh, Coulson and Mate dynamic that goes from unrequited emotion to all sorts of it. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is just really good. Uh, and, and I'm sad when I think of stuff that goes on with Coulson. There's lots of foreboding in the episode. Uh, stuff going on with Talbot, but wowza. Wowza. It, it keeps going. And then episode 18, All Roads Lead. You get the Talbot stuff figuring here with Sweet Little Robin. Um, and just seeing Talbot all brainwashed crazy man instead of the asshole is always going up against the agents is interesting. But really the real tension of this episode is Ruby trying to become the destroyer of worlds in a Captain America chamber. And then Daisy's Quake trying to save Fitz and Simmons who are being tortured by the eager beaver that is Ruby. And it all goes down and ends in a way that I was not expecting to say uh, that, that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. sometimes includes violent death is an understatement. Uh, General Hell also sort of teams up with Agents, but uh, it's more because of loyalty to her Hydra daughter. But uh, let's just say Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not about happy endings. And uh, this, this could have been the episode that ended this season, but then they keep going with an episode like episode 19, option 2. And, and we all knew the last episode wasn't going to resolve the Agents' dilemma of the world being destroyed. But uh, I, I even mentioned to Danny that even though I'm enjoying the hell out of the show, I wonder how this giant, literally earth-shattering story fits in the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff. And then you get a side character in episode 19 asking Daisy if she saw what's going on in New York. And while my heart breaks, I realize that all of this is going on at the same time. And while this is a, a smaller, you know, it's not a completely world-encompassing thing that agents are dealing with dealing with stuff it explains why the avengers are busy while this is all going down when a new alien threat shows up the whole episode is all about that alien threat and so damn good if you thought the gravitonium chamber creating a new powered individual plot was over you'd be wrong i and i am ready for graviton to be on the show this entire episode is claustrophobic agents versus light manipulating marauder aliens in the lighthouse that's all locked down because Coulson is impatient and doesn't read an entire menu. Yay for more Patrick Warburton hilariousness. And, and all in all, this was a really great episode uh, that, that's leading who knows where. I do know that agents in the episode have to deal with choices. There's interpersonal drama, and I'm not even mentioning Daisy off on her own side mission, which references Centipede Tech from way back in Season 1. Just yay, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
for being fun. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure how this season is going to end, but I really, really hope it doesn't end in an Infinity War way and I can't spoil things. And uh, yeah, we're going to move on to a Marvel show that has nothing to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that is Legion Season 2, Episode 3, which is called uh, Chapter 11, but this show continues to be a mind trip. I, I know I love the conversations between the Shadow King and David. The idea behind the Mystery Monk is expanded. We also learn more about what happened to Farouk's consciousness out there uh, to invade David someday. There's a cow and mind mazes, and it's all really wonderful. Plus, there's a reveal of what exactly has been going on with the catatonic teeth-chattering people. This show is just so cool, and I definitely needed a mind F of a show to watch after all the feelings from Infinity War. No spoilers, uh, uh, but I got a, I got a couple shows, extra shows in courtesy of uh, watching that movie super late, so it's actually when I watched Legion. But uh, yay for Legion! The fun show that is definitely smarter than me, and uh, even and and there's even lessons with embedded within this season. You learn about the nocebo effect. Episode four is chapter twelve. David has to save Sydney, and courtesy of that, we get backstory for her, which is which is a really nice way to do some exposition, but also keep the weird mind train that is this show rolling. Her life events are 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 really fun, not fun, but interesting to watch. Uh, and used as a device for David to figure out his lady's innermost desire. And it's just one heck of a way to do an episode. Like the show, this is complicated. And just when I, I wondered if we'd be in her memory land for a whole hour, you get a little more story for other characters. But uh, this is a David and Sid-centric episode, and really deep and, and worth watching. I, I thought it was lovely and, and really good. Then episode 5, chapter 13... Hot damn, Legion did an episode that, that ends with one hell of a gut punch. So much going on here, and, and there's stuff with Lenny that was a joy to watch. Aubrey Plaza really is amazing, friends. There's also a lot for the Shadow King and Oliver on their mission to find Farouk's body. This whole episode revolves around that, and while it, while it is a simple plot, it's also deeply complex with lots of character interactions. Heard recently that Legion's ratings are none too good, and that it might actually not get a third season, which makes me sad, because this show is so deep and a lot of fun, and even if it sometimes is a bit of a head trip, even if sometimes it is smarter than me, there's a lot going on, and it, it, it's a show that needs to be focused and focused on deeply you need to watch it you can't have it on in the background while you do everything other things but as episodes go you know chapter 13 was was not so complex uh other than a lesson talking about people seeing jesus in toast and what that can mean but seriously uh, there this episode's good and all sorts of crazy and just when i'm thinking the shadow king might be misunderstood might not be as evil as i thought then then they go and do things and Whoa, whoa, whoa. I was really hit to my core by, by this episode for David. Watch his show, friends, so we can get more seasons for, uh, for a show con not connected to other Marvel stuff, which is great on its own. And, uh, and yeah, it's really, really enjoyable. Legion is, is fun and good and worth watching. And uh, another show that is back, and I'm so excited it's back, is Westworld. And I watched Westworld Season 2, Episode 1, Journey Into Night, and... Well, 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 Westworld, how I missed you. Spoilers for the first season lie in my thoughts, so fair warning, skip ahead as needed, but... 
the whole ending of the last season goes full force as we learn so much more about this park where people can go to the Wild West and enact all their sins and fantasies. Problem is that now the, the hosts, the androids, know what's going on, at least some of them do, and they have plans of their own, led by the amazing Dolores. The show still hops back and forth in time, uh, but you get you get Arnold getting more screen time or Bernard getting more screen time. A real win of this episode was Dolores and dressed up party goers with nooses and gravestones and there's revelations for, for where the park is located. And uh, it, I guess I already said spoilers, but really friends, if you don't want stuff spoiled, skip ahead, but the park's on an island. What the hell? And there's a Chinese speaker that might reference its location. And then there's, there's Delos cleaning up, you know, 11 days after the incident. And then Tessa Thompson's character, Charlotte, you know, reveals some stuff which which brings even more intrigue for what the purpose of the park is besides letting rich people be an awful and there's uh they show the interior robotics of the host which was radical and then you get Maeve and Hector and, and Wimpy Lee, you know, the guy that wanted to, to do the stories besides uh besides uh the main or oh, I can't Anthony Hopkins character. I can't think of the name right now. But it was really interesting. Man in Black William gets stuff here too. Really can't say more without spoiling all of this, but it was all beautiful, well acted, truly amazing. I look forward to seeing this show with my roommates every week. This is the show that I'm watching with my roommates. Uh we're going we're going to get events that happened over the eleven days of the host running havoc in the park. And then whatever happens after that, plus flashbacks to make us understand more. And the end scene of episode one is just all sorts of what the fuck. Really righteous stuff. Hooray for the show being back. Episode two is called Reunion. And flashbacks don't even begin to explain what goes down in this episode. There's more for the Dolores is a badass plot. And she's ready to take over not only Westworld, but the actual world. And then we learn more about wherever, wherever uh, you know, whatever part of the world is closest to the park and where people live when they're not working or killing there. All sorts of interestingness when we consider that Dolores remembers everything and we learn about Logan Delos. Yes, he's back and his last name is the company involved in the park and there's a cocktail party scene to wow you. Anthony Hopkins doing a little bit of voice acting. There's Bernard stuff. Young William is also back for, for some scenes involving the plot line that we learned from Arnold and Charlotte from episode one. And then uh, Logan's dad appears, you know, the Mr. Dulles himself was a great accent. Also, Old William, Man in Black stuff, a Return to Pariah that, that is not an orgy episode like a season one. Uh, there's, there's just a really great subplot for the Man in Black uh, regarding the game that's just for him. And, and there's a satisfying shock of a scene in Pariah. Overall... Uh, this show is so great with all the jumping back and forth scenes. Uh, if you're, you know, if you get confused by that sort of thing, I actually saw a recap of uh, this episode done by Entertainment Weekly that did an unscrambled recap, put everything in chronological order. If that's something you'd be interested in, but you know, there it's just a great show. There's Dolores and Maeve get a scene together. Return of the Confederados, um, also a new twist that connects William and Dolores' style storylines that I'm sure is going to be one of the main points of this season and. Uh, that, that's all I'm going to say without, without being more of a big spoiler wookie. Summation, I really love this show, and Westworld is back, and it's great. So, so great. And and another show that's back and oh, is really good is Handmaid's Tale, Season 2, Episode 1, entitled June. 
and Dab Gum. Did I enjoy the first season of this Hulu gem inspired by our popular dystopian book? But sort of forgot how awful it is to, to watch the United States where fundamentalist Christians rule in a misogynistic state that really is just bad, awful, bad. And and this episode gives us ton tons for Offred, who is now officially June, or at least until they decide she needs to suffer again. And there's certainly lots of drama bad things for the handmaids and and the end leads to a new journey for june which has me sort of excited but also nervous for her. also really good pastine still just letting you know how the world how the united states became gilead in the first place and this show is just so good elizabeth moss is amazing and also the actress who plays Aunt lydia all her evilness really deserves credit too um i've stayed clear of some of the events in this in this just to not be a spoiler wookie but uh you know, this, this episode kicks right off where where the last season ended. And uh, it, it's it's good, but man, it's heartbreaking. Sometimes it is tough to see. I don't know that this is ever a, a show that you should just binge. You might need to, like, watch an episode and then unpack the episode. But what, they, what they're doing is they put up the first two episodes, and then the, the third episode has come up since I started watching it and since I recorded. So I actually watch those three episodes. But every week on, I think it's Monday or Tuesday, they'll have another episode. So it's sort of like watching your other television where you can watch it, you know, one episode at a time. Um, I really highly recommend the show. Episode two was called Unwomen. And this is split off into two parts. We get stuff for June, which is superb, but also a whole story of Emily and the colonies where women who haven't met the standards of Gilead forced to toil away in a wasteland that's just slowly killing them. If you thought genital mutilation was the worst thing that was going to happen to Emily from season one, you'd be wrong. To add to her heartbreak, there's flashback scenes of her life before becoming a handmaiden sent to a forced labor camp. Really riveting. Uh, she gets a little bit of justice. There's a little bit of scene. Marissa Tomei is also in this episode, and she does some really good acting. Uh, there's a reveal for another character from the first season, and uh, it's it's really crazy because the Offred June stuff is so good. But this episode is all Emily, in my humble opinion, and that's a okay. And it was really good just to see more of this world. Uh, one thing is certainly certain for for the first two episodes, if you're a Bostonian, you may never look at Fenway Park or the Boston Globe headquarters the same way again. Just saying. Episode three is called Baggage, and June's entire current reality continues, and the result is learning much more about how the lower classes of Gilead live. There's also flashbacks showing information about June's mother, which is both revelatory about events leading up to the dystopia, but also heartbreaking, may end up connecting more to stuff in the future, but I'm just guessing in that regard. It all just go, goes down, you know, at the end, the way people should have expected, since things, certain things seemed all too easy, but also great stuff for June's husband and her best friend in Canada. Overall, this is just another good episode, especially if we're showing more of Gilead, beyond the lives of the handmaids and and we'll see how the handmaid's tale will continue i'm sure there's going to be more stuff in the future uh you, you know I, i've heard people talk like oh it's just too sexy i don't know if that's ever the point of the show in the second episode of season two yeah there there is a actually much longer than i would have expected you know romantic scene between a male and a female but uh yeah, this this show it's it's almost just like a warning of, of how things could go and you know, and sometimes in the climate that we live in you're like, you know, this this is a stretch, but is it really is it a stretch? You know, when people are talking about, you know, reversal of Roe versus V Wade and stuff, and this isn't a political podcast, but I think I think dystopian shows 
are important because you see see the worst of things and, and think to yourself like could could things go that way and what do I need to do to keep the world from heading that way so there you go and then and then you know you don't want your world to explode and we'll go to a show that is 200 years before a planet exploded and we're talking about Krypton season one episode six this episode is called Civil Wars and man friends I am still enjoying this show about Kryptonians with no powers the show about Superman's grandpa and uh, yeah the, the whole weird timey-wimey stuff keeps on to launch this episode the big reveal of episode 5 is how this one starts uh, and they're dealing with the threat of Brainiac and Kandor and what's going on but also introduces ideas about whether Adam Strange's mission is a good one or if he actually even knew what he was doing uh, maybe, maybe Brainiac needs to create the bottled city of Kandor. Maybe that's what this is about. Them just watching him succeed. Uh, there's also Kryptonian elite, basically uh, the Vexes, and then and then the Zods who want to overthrow the voice of Rao. Then there's new intrigue for the voice of Rao with what went down two episodes previously. You get little Ona as a member of the ranked, which is so cute in this episode. And also every time she's with the voice of Rao, I'm just like, I worry for her. This episode proves why the Black Zero leader that Segel encountered forcefully in the previous episode, why he's around, how he knows so much more about Brainiac. And when you find out that reveal, you're like, what the what? We get our first drama for for uh, Segel and Adam and interesting ideas of what is worth risking for the existence of Superman someday. Uh, and then and then there's, there's also a really fun reveal in this episode which should make any fans of Kal-El's mythos exclaim. I was like, what? It was, it was good stuff. It really was. It was really good. In episode 7, Transformation, this whole episode is all about the threat of Brainiac becoming a real deal in Kandor and how different sides are dealing with said threat. Things escalate quickly for sure. The way it all ends is really damn interesting. And I enjoy Adam Strange figuring out what his hero's journey is going to be. Uh, nickname or no, he interacts great with the representation of Segel's grandfather. Also just really cool that the Justice League is name dropped in this episode. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to hope how this all ends, but I'm incredibly interested by it all. Yes, the show about Superman's grandpa that I used to make fun of before it came out remains a show that I'm thoroughly enjoying. It helps a lot that there's lots of Man of Steel lore mixed in to all the action, plus the effects and the sets and the acting really make it all worth it. Everyone in the show is taking the whole thing very seriously, and I appreciate that. Brainiac is a scary villain, and for right now, things do not look so great for the city of Kandor. And the worst part is we might need to root for the villain if we care about Superman's future. It's, it's, it's a weird show, but it's also a great show. And way to go, Krypton, for being the depowered Kryptonian show that proves haters like me wrong. And that, that is all the television, friends. That that was a lot of television. There's more that I don't watch. I am behind on Gotham. I am behind on Walking Dead. And Into the Badlands started, and I have not started watching it yet. And then there's shows coming in June that I want to watch, too. So, uh... Even with all the DC shows ending, there will there and Agents of Shield ending too, there will be uh there will be more shows for me to watch this summer. Yay! Thankfully, I'll have more time because I'm in the last two weeks of school. Literally, uh, there's one more week of school, then there's finals, and then hopefully I graduate with my bachelor's degree in history. Hopefully, but we'll get to in the stacks and uh, in the stacks is me talking about comics and. 
Ooh, Jiminy, I did not realize how far. Well, I guess I sort of, I sort of did realize, but then I was in doubt about it. But uh, I felt, I felt really, really far behind on all the DC comics that I like to read, and uh, so I, I, I dedicated an hour of sleep time for a few nights to catch up on the Flash, Batman, and Superman, because it, it seems silly to not read comics I enjoy. And uh, they offer a nice respite from all the real life that often seems heavy. Uh, I, I like the picture when I said often seems heavy. One of you did a really great Doc impression, Doc Brown impression right now. But uh, I'm really glad I caught up. And we'll just get into it. I read The Flash, uh, 36 to 44, those issues, all written by Joshua Williamson. But I'll point out artists and colors for each issue as I go along. 36, art by Howard Porter, color by Hi-Fi. If you forgot, Barry's been stuck working in Iron Heights, courtesy of pissing off Chief Singh, and now he has a murder of a rogue to deal with. Sucks that he's not an investigator and just on lab work duty, but this starts a storyline called A Cold Day in Hell, which covers the next two issues as well. We get Turbine, the Ex-Tiski Gearman, Trickster, Godspeed, the Trigger Twins, Copperhead, Bug-Eyed Bandit, the Rogues, and more. It's it's not what you all might think, though, since we, we go between Barry's... Uh, limits while working in iron heights and then his extracurriculars as a flash in central city let's just say that whatever is going on in the super prison is super interesting has to do with back when the rogues first got stuck there in the first place feel bad for the murdered character but hey it's comics he wasn't a major player we'll move on issue 37 pencils by scott mcdaniel ink by mick gray and hi-fi still doing those bombastic colors mcdaniel's drawings aren't my favorite but i've gotten used to the rotating artists for flash and as long as williams's story is good usually don't mind note hi-fi is apparently a company founded by brian miller alongside his wife christy so whenever you say hi-fi it's not an actual person it's a company and it probably is the color work of brian miller but maybe not could be another artist working for him but Basically everything, all the reveals from the last issue pay out here and Barry discovers who was behind the death of the rogue in Iron Heights and for what reason. I don't want to spoil anything, but I'll say it's really good. Not so great for Barry. And what I especially like is Williamson taking so much from previous issues and interweaving it into an interesting story. We definitely got more rogues and Godspeed, but once again, not in ways you might expect. Don't forget they're all inmates of Iron Heights, courtesy of the winning side of Barry, so that also makes things interesting. Issue 38 art by scott collins colorful hi-fi and we're back to better art and the whole intrigue plays out but not without a couple surprises for certain characters involved i love that throughout this whole three issues barry is dealing with his demons and concepts of forgiveness and worthiness of course certain threads are left to play out but it's, it's really all quite lovely give the story a solid a especially for the way it surprised me at several moments let's hope the last panel pays out the way i hope it does but there's also a righteous full page of barry versus bad guys it made me very very happy it was a woo to the who moment issue 39 Art by my favorite Flash artist, Carmine, DG, and Domenico, colored by Ivan Placentia. Really like this team together. This is a team I wish it would work on all the books, but I don't always get what I want. The cover really says it all. Grodd is back. And this starts off a six-part story called Perfect Storm. It's a 700 issue of The Flash, and it just finds a way to wow you and draw you in. Barry dealing with his fractured relationship with Iris, and then Grodd, and Mina, and Multiplex, and Raikin, Master of Lightning craziness and knowing this is going to be told over six those shoes just had me super stoked and intrigued on why grod wants to master the speed force bonus telepathic powerful super apes always make me smile of course then we break off into flash war prelude aka annual number one for a wally west story art by howard porter and christian deuce color by hi-fi 
Wally dealing with living in a world where he's only one of two Wallys and trying to figure out where he fits in, how far he's willing to go to help people remember. And in one case, it doesn't go so well. And there's also the rub of investigators from the 25th century looking into the destruction of the Flash Museum and the death of E. Barthon, the, the top and magenta figure into the whole story. But the entire thing ends up being purposed for a big reveal that will play out in issue 47 of The Flash, which won't be for a little while longer. But this, this uh, annual was super cool. Issue 40 has Carmine, DG, and Domenico, and Ivan Placentia still making everything look rad and really pretty. Central City trapped in a, in a moment where Flash deals with Gorilla Grodd and, and the Lord of Lightning, a.k.a. Raj. And basically, everybody's, like, stuck. Like, time has been paused, but all the speedsters can still do their thing. Things ramp up real quickly in the Grodd versus Barry Allen contest. And even though two Wally West and speedster Avery from the Justice League of China are around, doesn't go well for Barry. But we do get great scenes from the Flash's past while Grodd is in his head. It really is a good thing that the original Wally West is back here and also a Flash. 41, art by Carlos Dianda, colored by Luis Guerrero. Art changes to Scotia, but it's still dynamic and fun. You get Barry, Wally, Wally, and Avery dealing with Grodd's team and their plan to steal the Speed Force from Central City. Their strife is they figure out how to fix it all, but Barry's plan is crazy. Has me all sorts of interested in how this is going to go down. The lightning rod involved in the whole evil plan, and it makes me wonder if that's connected to previous stuff from Iron Heights. So far, I think I've been doing good with spoilers, but warning friends, I do not know how much longer I'm going to succeed. Issue 42, art by Dan Panosian, colored by Hi-Fi. Bah, art deficit again, but not the worst. It's weird because the art gets better as it goes along. You'd never think a Flash comic would deal with concepts of obsession or addiction without using a hooky drug plot, but this does. Lots of speedsters, some good, some bad, all working with whatever, within whatever the hell's going on with Grodd's plan. I'd love to say that Barry is a hero here, but that would be an oversimplification and not the complete truth. He's still my number one, but Williamson is really rocking this story. Issue 43 is back to my favorites, DG and Domenico and Placentia. And I think I could sum up this whole issue with the words I said after reading this. What? Wow. And this could have been a finishing issue to the storyline, but instead Williamson finds a way to grow members of the Flash family, especially Barry, and takes it to a whole new level. Grodd is such a great villain, and this is bringing all the previous issues with Black Hole and Mina and everything else to one big conclusion. So damn good, and I highly recommend this story before I even read the conclusion, which is done in issue 44 with the same art team. We've dealt with the threat of the speed force, but now the negative speed force has to be contended with, and it, it really ends well and has a hook for the Flash Wars storyline to remind you that there's still great stories ahead. Really, it was a fun six-parter. I like when they do the the whole hero writing his love interest a letter to narrate the story and Grodd was a great villain and and Flash was lots of fun I really enjoyed reading the, those issues I read Batman issues 37 to 44 Tom King is the amazing writer for all his goodness and just like Flash I'm going to point out the art team as we go along issue 37 is part 2 of the Super Friends story started in the previous issue which I adored pencils and ink by Clay Mann with color by Jordi Belair if you ever wanted to see Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Bruce Wayne, and Selena Kyle go on a double date, this is, is the issue you're waiting for. Plus, if you ever wonder what Clark would look like dressed up as Batman and vice versa, this will not disappoint either. 
lots of bonding between the couple, some for the guys, some for the gals. There's a flask and a bet regarding baseball, and it's it's just really good. The question even shows up for a moment, and it's sort of in a weird way, but uh, yeah, the double date is really good, and the issue before, issue 36, both of those together, really worth reading. 38 is Pencils and in Ink by Travis Moore, colored by Julia Brusco. Plain old awesome murder mystery featuring a poor orphan seeking advice from Bruce Wayne. The killer could be Zaz, Two-Face, or anyone really, and it's all sorts of messed up when everything is revealed. But yay for murder mystery, Batman being a detective, and lions in a zoo. This really is a nice self-contained tale, showing off exactly what, what makes Batman comics great. Just really good detective stories. Issue 39 and 40 have interiors by Joel Jones. Colored by Jordi Belair, they continue the Super Friends storyline, but now Wonder Woman joins the revelations of Bruce and Selina's upcoming nuptials. Meet a character named the Gentleman, who for thousands of years has fought the hordes of Gehenna, who are monsters created by sin that wish to destroy the world. It's Julian, aka the Gentleman's job, to stop the horde that is everlasting, and Wonder Woman and Bats have agreed to give this hero a break, but didn't realize that time is different between planes of existence. Hours in Gotham are decades there, and Julian won't go back until he sees his wife, so Selena Kyle is obviously none too thrilled, but there's some really great Diana and Bruce moments, plus some righteous bad armor. King does character moments so well, and while Jones' art is grittier, it's still really cool and a fun story. Somehow the comic is still finding ways to focus on Bats and Cats' relationship while still making and following good Batman stories. Righteous does not even begin to summarize it. Issues 41 to 43 is a storyline called Everyone Loves Ivy, art by Michael Janin, colored by Jun Chung in 41 to 43, but Hugo Petrus does some of the art in issue 43 as well. King finds a way to use Poison Ivy stuff from the War of Jokes and Riddles and uses in a great story about Poison Ivy using her connection to the green to take over the entire world, to literally mind control them. Well, basically everybody except for Batman and Selina. There's lots of superheroes here. Superman, Wonder Woman, Barry Allen, Harley Quinn are just a few. Really good story. The art is beautiful. You really can't tell a ton of difference between the two artists, or at least my untrained eye did not notice it. I thought it was seamless. I dig whenever a good Pamela Isley story is told, and this one ranks up there with some of the best I've read. Batman and Catwoman get to be great supers, all the all the greatness that they are, and also deal with psychological issues and somehow also discuss their wedding plans somewhere in the middle of all of it. And the last issue to mention is Batman 44, art by Michael Jannon and Joel Jones, colored by June Chung and Jordi Belair. And this particular issue had two different cover options, one with Batman, one with Catwoman. Totally okay that my comic shop chose the Selena Kyle one for me. We're leading up to a six-part story, apparently, where the Joker's going to find out about Selena and Bruce's wedding, and I'm sure all hell's going to break loose. But first, we get a tidy little story of Selena the Bride and Burglar shopping for a wedding dress. Well, shopping, sort of, if you count stealing a wedding dress as shopping, but also reminiscing about encounters with their love, the Dark Knight, through the ages. From Papa's Bank to recent iterations, it's really awesome looking and a fun reminiscence down memory lane. I'm a fan of Bruce and Selena settling down and whatever shape that takes and if Batman can keep from being seduced by Diana Prince based on his love of Catwoman this really may be love I dig it heck I like married Superman with a kid so this is right up my alley and I like that Batman's relationship is complicated and it has a lot of flirting and dalliances to back it up this issue is great I can't wait to see what Tom King has in store for readers of this comic in the future and then and then the last comics that I read Superman 
issues 37 to 44. Unlike The Flash and Batman, the whole creative team rotates a bit, so I'm going to mention the entire team as we go along. 37 and 38 are the bookends of a four-parter called Super Sons of Tomorrow. Courtesy of a buddy with the worst comic problem than this fuzzball, got my hands on the two issues in between, and I'm going to mention them here as well. But 38 was written by Peter J. Tomasi and Patrick Gleason, art by Jorge Jimenez, colored by Alejandro Sanchez. It might surprise some to see Batman and another Batman in well two different batman in in the first few pages of a superman comic but lately the two have been semi-intertwined especially since their sons started palling around together and this comic gets right to the action here with bruce and kal-el dealing with a baddie from the future who who dresses like batman and wants to incapacitate them to accomplish his mission which is none too good for jonathan kent aka superboy of course since it's a four-parter and deals with john and inevitably damian wayne we go to Super Sons number 11, written by Tomasi and Gleason, pencils by Ryan Benjamin, ink by Richard Friend, colored by Gabe Elteb. Spoilers, friends, for the rest of the discussion for the Superman comics, because I really don't know a way around it. Uh, one last warning for at least a minute or so, but 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, ignition engaged, and we're off. So Tim Drake, Batman from the future, is who's trying to kill Jonathan, and after looking for him with Lois and incapacitating Bats and Superman, it's off to find Jonathan... Uh, where he's been assisting the Teen Titans. Problem is that John has proven his powers can sometimes be uncontrollable, and this is one of those times. A really cool, wowza, I dig seeing Starfire and Beast Boy, Raven, Kid Flash, Aqualad. There's them fighting baddies that call themselves the Hangmen with names like Breathtaker, Stranglehold, Killshot, Shocky, and Provoke. We'll learn what future catastrophe has motivated Tim, and then things go haywire and do not look good for our heroes. Teen Titans number 15, written by Tomasi and Gleason, pencils by Ed Benes and Jorge Jimenez, ink by Benes, Jimenez, and Richard Friend, colored by Danae Ribeiro and Alejandro Sanchez. There's Titans of Tomorrow looking for Drake, namely Connell Superman, Bart Allen Flash, and Cassandra Sands Mark Wonder Woman. The Teen Titans are torn over whether to help Tim Drake, who now has a new costume, and is calling himself the Savior. Now there's a rift between Beast Boy and Raven versus Starfire, Wally, and Aqualad, and things are getting good, which heads back to Superman, number 19, where it finishes off. Writing by, still by Tomasi and Gleason, pencils by Sergio Davila, ink by Vicente Cifuentes, and colored by Gabe Elteb. The whole John going solar flare, boom, boom, gets solved as everybody works together to save him. Also, Superman gets to play a role, since it's his comic after all. Then there's a sacrifice, which makes me wonder what may be ahead in the future. Overall, really good. A little comic booky at times, but still enjoyable. What can you expect when you're dealing with visitors from the future and the Teen Titans? I dig those characters, so I'm going to allow that in this story that sometimes was real serious, and other times was a little silly. I don't think it was intended to be hokey at any point, but hey friends, it's comics, sometimes it is. Then we're back to solid Superman stories. Issue 39 is Tomasi and Gleason with pencils by Barry Kitson, inks by Kitson and Scott Hanna, and colored by Gabriel Altab. What's better than Superman beating down some hokey villains called the Demolition Team? Well, what's better is seeing him and the rest of the Justice League do a really nice thing for kids with cancer, in space no less, which is all silly but also a nice little story with hearty humor. And I mean, heck, even Batman smiles at one point, so it's got to be good stuff. Issue 40. Written by James Robinson with pencils by Doug Monkey, ink by Jaime Mendoza and Scott Hanna and colored by Will Quintana. Part one of a two-part story called The Last Days. You get John and Clark gathering in the Fortress of Solitude to remember the, the, blah, the destruction of Krypton. But before they know if they before they know it, they discover another planet about to share the same fate. 
and are off to Gallimane to save some seahorse-looking aliens on their water world. No, Kevin Costner is not on the water world. Just seahorse-looking aliens on the planet called Gallimane. But the problem is that nothing is ever easy like the box office of Waterworld, and it's a planet of religious zealots who might not want to, want to be saved at all by Superman. Issue 41 is still Robinson writing, but art by Ed Beans, color Ed Bennis, color by uh, Danae Ribeiro, and the myopic fanaticism of the aliens of Gallimane continues with Superman as son. Uh, and they end up with one of the only remaining scientists. I really think this is a message of, of what being against science means, which is what's being told. And, and it was a little heavy-handed. I'm going to be honest. There's concepts of what belief in God means and dealing with fanaticism. And I've read better stories, uh, but there's some moments for Jonathan and Superman that, that make up for it. It was okay. I think uh, I definitely noticed that Tomasi and Gleason were not writing it, which is okay because issue 42 is right back to Peter J. Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. Art by Patrick Gleason, colored by Alejandra Sanchez. This starts a three-part Bizarroverse story for Superman and Family. I dig Bizarro as a villain for Kal-El. He definitely ranks somewhere, probably in my top five. And uh, I, I like Bizarro. Me not Bizarro. Me not like Superman comic. Me smash when not mad. But comic not make Bizarro happy. <laughs> You're like, I don't even know what Wookie just said. But yes, yes. So much yes. Or, or to give a key to my bizarre speech. No, no. So little no. <laughs> this issue has a bunch of pages dedicated to the Bizarro verse. Uh, it's, it's, and it's version of Bizarro Superman... Uh, has there's a Lois which is spelled with a Z and then there's Boy Zaro who is the Jonathan Kent version it can't be good that Jonathan visited there with his alien gal pal Kathy but uh, it does set up an awkward and wonderful interaction for John and his parentals later on in the issue issue 43 takes off right with the hook from the previous comic still Tomasi and Gleason but pencils and inks by Gleason and Joe Prado color by Stephen Downer we pick back up where John left uh Kathy, a.k.a. Beacon, and we learn that Maya is Lois Lane's spy. Something has to be done with bizarro creatures from Earth, uh, spelt backwards, uh, being on Earth Prime. There's a brief Bibbo appearance. Rob Zaro, which is the bizarro Damian Wayne, and then Tiny, which is the bizarro Goliath. There's even a mention of Hawk Zaro. It, it's off to the bizarro universe to make things right. But you know things are going to get a lot weirder before it is all figured out. And the last panel certainly is all sorts of strange but wonderful. To the moon, Alice. And I don't just say that because the honeymooners were referenced in this story so far. Issue 44, Tomasi and Gleason writing. Pencils by Doug Monkey, ink by Monkey, and Jaime Mendoza, colored by Will Quintana. It's a battle for an ages in a land where everyone says the opposite of what they mean. Really cool, but admittedly it takes some close reading to have everything make sense. But it's all worth it for the bizarre representations like Solomon Granzaro, the Joe Cryer, Gorilla Odd, Aquazaro, and so much more. You get Fat Flash. Sound effects which are hilarious since they don't match the action. Like uh, if if Bizarro is stomping, it's like, uh, it's uh, like, <laughs> I don't know, oh, what did they even say? It's, it's like... Uh, if something's smash, it's like quiet. Or if something's like boom, it's like ting. <laughs> One thing for certain, this story was not just Bizarro being a humorous villain. There were actually layers to what was going on in this universe that was created by Bizarro. Or should I say not created. 
it's uh, it's not a happy story, but it is a fun one. And I give points to Tomasi and Gleason for expanding on the world of Bizarro and doing this entire Bizarro verse thing. Uh, but I am ready for comics that make sense easily. <laughs> it uh, it really what the you know Bizarro if if they're uh, you know there's uh, if he says always if he means always he would say never if he means never he would say always. Or you say, you are not good, which means you are good, or not bad, which is, or you just say bad when you mean good. And as you see, it, it could completely get all sorts of complicated. But we're, we're done with comics for now. I have read actually a couple more comics, but I'm going to save those for another issue. Because I just realized that we're actually still still recording and we're almost at that hour and a half mark. It almost makes me feel like I should skip a skip the Star Wars stuff, but this is the the fourth is with us episode, so we're going to go to Let the Wookiee Wins real quick, some Star Wars. Um, just some real quick, maybe not all my commentary, maybe I'll leave these notes for more commentary in the future, but uh, there was a rumor from a source with the New York Daily News that says Yoda is going to be in episode nine and scenes with Rey. I don't know if any of these things are true, but I just figured I'd throw that out for you. I think that makes sense. You know, Yoda does spoiler I guess you could you skip if you haven't seen The Last Jedi. Skip for 30 seconds. But uh, Yoda was in The Last Jedi. And, and it was great. And it was uh, the Frank Oz voice and activated Muppet. Activated. <laughs> acted uh, Muppet. And uh, yeah, that would make perfect sense for Force Ghost. For Force Ghost Yoda to end up being in scenes with Rey. And please, Force Ghost Yoda and Force Ghost Luke being together. I think that would be lovely. Uh, add to this another rumor from that hashtag show saying, uh, I think actually I talked about this in the, in the last episode, but just that uh, there's a character named Mara apparently going to be in there. And uh, I feel like I've already talked about this on the show, so maybe I'll just skip it. But Mara Jade could be in episode nine. Uh, yeah, and now people want, you know, Sebastian Stan looks like young Mark Hamill. And so people are like, oh, let's get the Mara Jade movie to see how they're together. And I just hope it's just a character named Mara. It has nothing to do with that. I don't want to see Mara Jade in Star Wars. I, I think uh, that, that boat has sailed when they decided to go a different different way for the future movies. Uh, we got Ron Howard revealed on Twitter an image proving that his brother Clint Howard is in the movie. And uh, some people think that he is the uh, mean man that, that Lando wants L337 to stop grabbing his face in the trailer. And actually, I saw the images, and that that may actually be where where he's in there. But I, I think uh, think that'll be interesting to see why L three three seven grabbed that guy's face, and if that is indeed Clint Howard. We got a oh a really big announcement, and I feel bad that I'm I'm trying to wrap up this episode, but just the announcement that the second unit director for Star Wars Episode Nine is gonna be Victoria Mulhaney. Woo to the who. One of the top people making the next Star Wars movie, along with J.J. Abrams, is an African-American female. Her name was thrown in the ring by Ava DuVernay, apparently. Uh, Ava DuVernay is known to be a friend of Abrams. And uh, I just I just think it's great. I think it's awesome that there's going to be another director of color for people to rave about. And I'm really excited that it's in the Star Wars universe. I think it's important to note that Mulhaney is also going to be the first woman ever to direct a Star Wars film in any capacity provided that you don't believe that Kathleen Kennedy has had any input into the movies since she took over Lucasfilm. But yeah, I think this is great. I think we're going to see a lot more. I think uh, Disney, as a company that makes money but also cares about its its public opinion, will want more more people of 
different different races and creeds and genders doing their movies. Uh, second unit director, some people might say, who cares? But that's a big deal. Second unit is is a big help to the director and uh, and does do stuff. You know, J.J. Abrams will say, I want this, but it's going to be Victoria Mulhaney that actually is making the stuff happen. And good for her. Congratulations. That's awesome. So super cool. And then just uh, the last little news to talk about, which uh, is actually really, really dope. Star Wars Resistance. If you didn't see the news, it's going to be a new anime-inspired series. It's going to give fans a window into the history leading up to The Force Awakens. Uh, Yes, this is coming from Dave Filoni, the man behind Clone Wars and the man behind Rebels. The main character is uh, uh, Kazuda Ziono. It's X-I-O-N-O. I think it's Kazuda Ziono, which is a young pilot recruited to help spy on the First Order. He's going to come into contact with people that you find familiar. Poe Dameron, yes, the, the X-Wing hotshot pilot himself. Captain Phasma, apparently. And, uh, you know, Oscar Isaac and Gwendolyn Christie have apparently signed on to voice their characters. Uh, there's also a Japanese-American actor named James Sean, who has been talked about for the show and uh, Dave Filoni mentioned, you know, he loves World War II fighters and fighting scenes and uh, r- that everybody's really excited by the anime inspiration. I think actually this is going to be 2D animation. And then the teaser image had BB-8 on it, so I'm sure we're going to get more of the roly-poly murder droid. And uh, yeah, this is coming out in the fall apparently. And uh, it's really, really exciting. I think this could be really cool. I like when they do the 3D animations. But, uh, yeah, a 2D animated show could be really fun, too. And I, I'd like to see more, you know, before The Force Awakens. More stuff about, you know, the Resistance and with the First Order. And while I enjoy the Poe Dameron comics, yeah, yay for more. Yay for more. And I really hope that James Sean is actually going to be Kazuda Ziono because that does sound sort of like an Asian name. And I think that would be really cool. That would make James Sean the, uh, the first Asian lead other than uh, Kelly Lutran, you know, playing Rose in The Last Jedi. So, congratulations, good sir, and excitement for for more more Star Wars in my life. But that's that's going to wrap up this episode. I think over an over hour and a half is really long. I hope you have a great May the 4th. I hope you have a great free comic book day the next day. And uh, you know you know the deal. Subscribe to the podcast. You can always comment laughitupfuzzball.net. Uh, you can send emails, laughitupfuzzballpodcast at gmail.com. You can go on the Laugh It Up Fuzzballs page, the Facebook group, and talk about it. You can go on Twitter or Instagram, at Wookie Riot. And, uh, yeah, lots of ways for you to put your thoughts out there. And uh, I really hope you have a, uh, a great day. And just thank you for listening. I remain your, your, your resident walking carpet of geekery. And... Uh, May the force be with us all. I'm on with the fourth. The fourth is with me. Thanks for stopping by. Stay classy. Be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. And and TTFN is late. I need to get some sleep. Wookie out.